My next guest on Cake Cafe is Brad Hightower. He is the founder of Hightower Clinical Services and he also has his own podcast called Knock to File. So you may know of Brad if you follow him on his podcast or on LinkedIn. Today we want to talk about patient recruitment. There is a lot of innovation around patient recruitment aiming to accelerate it. Innovation in this space is not just about technology though. It's also about what initiatives people like Brad take. And Brad's initiative is specifically about community partnerships. Hi everyone and welcome back to Calix Cafe. Today I'm with Brad Hightower. Hi Brad, welcome to Calix Cafe. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, thanks for joining us. Oh, I see you have your Calix uh, mug. What's your drink of choice? I do just a, a caramel macchiato this morning. Just uh, some, some caffeine and sugar to get me going. Oh, nice. A good start of the day. Um, so uh, I'd like to start with uh, note to file. So you have your own podcast. How did you come with the idea of note to file? Yeah, I think uh, like so many people in the industry, especially at the site level, uh, I felt like there was sort of a real lack of, of resources and content out there uh, for people to just learn learn from and to hear uh, stories from other people within the industry. So uh, yeah, I really just set out to kind of be a sort of a soft interview show and be able to share some best practices. Um, and look, I mean, I love what I do. Uh, so if, you know, any way I can contribute and help sort of open up the conversation a little bit more uh, was really my intent. So yeah, we're almost at a almost at 50 episodes now. So it's a, it's a lot of work, but it's a, it's also a whole lot of fun. Yeah, that's uh, exactly what I think about uh, Calix Cafe as well. And I like the fact that you have a, a diversity of uh, people joining your podcast. That's very interesting. Yeah, I think there's a, I mean, it, it's interesting to me still uh, how sort of big the industry is uh, with, you know, unless you were in it, you almost wouldn't know uh, just how, sort of broad and deep uh, the clinical research industry goes. So again, just providing an opportunity for people to, you know, kind of get out there and get to know each other and learn different, different sides of the industry. Yeah, definitely. And how people don't know what even people in their uh, own organization do. Uh, so yeah, podcasts are a very good way of, of learning from each other. Um, so how did you get where you are today? What's your background? Yeah, I mean, like very many people, uh, I sort of fell into uh, clinical trials accidentally. Um, I actually, you know, maybe even have a, a little more of a bizarre story than most, but I actually dropped out of college back when I, you know, first went and joined a band, traveled the country and, uh, you know, playing playing in a punk rock band. I eventually decided, you know, I had to grow up. So I was actually working in a plasma center, uh, which interestingly shared a lot of the same sort of qualities uh, of a good clinical research coordinator. 
consenting patients and drawing blood. Uh, and I had a friend who was leaving uh, a local academic institution as a research coordinator, and they recommended I give it a shot. So decided to go for it. And uh, it's a long couple of years of really learning how things work uh, at the site level. It's uh, very confusing and oftentimes inefficient in a big academic institution. But uh, after a couple of years, was able to sort of get my feet under me. Eventually moved on to become the executive director uh, at a large cardiology hospital uh, for their research department. Uh, worked there for a while. Again, still noticed, uh, you know, quite a few inefficiencies and sort of uh, misaligned incentives across, you know, again, another big institution, uh, which kind of leads me to where I am today, uh, which is, uh, you know, founding Hightower Clinical and starting our own little research operation where we essentially provide research infrastructure to uh, physicians who otherwise don't have it. Uh, the whole idea is to sort of uh, lower the barrier of entry for physicians to participate in trials, especially those who are not part of a, a large academic institution or a large hospital. Also enables us to get out into underserved communities. Uh, so, you know, it's been a really uh, exciting and uh, tiring four years since uh, we started this venture. And uh, that's, that's kind of where I'm at today. Amazing. Uh, and yeah, definitely the first time I hear uh, someone joining the industry after playing in a uh, punk rock band. <laughs> I'm sure there are others, but yeah, it was a, certainly a long and winding road. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, so you mentioned uh, like serving the, the community um, and that's a topic that we wanted to, to discuss today. Community partnership, what do you mean by that? So, I mean, it's may depend uh, in some part on where you live in the country, but I think it's probably pretty generalizable, uh, especially here in the middle of the US. Uh, most clinical research takes place within large academic institutions, and that's sort of it. Uh, occasionally, you may have a, a hospital uh, who has their own research department. Um, so, you know, there's a few problems with this. One is that obviously patients have to go to one of these large institutions. So uh, in some ways, you're sort of immediately cutting down your, your potential reach and potential patient populations. Uh, in addition to that, these tend to be, again, very, <laughs> large bureaucratic and often inefficient institutions uh, working with local irbs can take months and months and dealing with uh you know budgets and legal within these institutions can also uh, you know add quite a bit to the the time frames so uh, again for me it was being able to reach out and notice in the community there were a lot of private practice physicians uh or maybe small groups who were interested in participating in trials uh, and I mean, frankly, the barrier to participate in trials is fairly high if you're a private practice physician. Uh, it's sort of a very niche field that not a lot of people are very knowledgeable about. Uh, even, you know, again, people within the industry, maybe who've even worked at a site, maybe don't fully appreciate uh, the bigger perspective uh, from beginning to end that it takes to manage trials uh, at a site. So, uh, again, I felt like there was a need was there uh, and uh, you know, we were able to start to partner with some of these private practice groups and basically provide the infrastructure from beginning to end. Uh, and I think that's really, for better or worse, what it may take to start to 
you know, diversify what the trial landscape looks like uh, is get out there and providing this resource to physicians who maybe have great patient populations, but otherwise wouldn't have the, the ability to participate. That's a very novel idea, actually, because we hear a lot, obviously, about uh, patient centricity, uh, trying to reach patients directly through social media, um, but we don't, well, that's the first time I hear about uh, trying to work with smaller um, sites or even like private practices to actually reach their patients because obviously they will also have uh, patients that they see uh, regularly. Um, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I think, you know, to speak to your point, I mean, I think it's in a lot of ways, it's the uh, next step towards patient centricity. I know, you know, right now, DCT, decentralized trials are sort of, you know, all the rage. We're talking about really layering a lot of technology, you know, maybe onto what we do currently. But again, I feel like this is sort of the, the step instead of the leap is to, uh, you know, go to where these patients are seeing their doctors. They have a relationship. They trust their, their doctors and, uh, you know, clinics. Uh, so again, to me, it makes a lot of sense to, uh, really, again, invest some time and resources into supporting these clinics. Cause again, I think it's a, it's a, just a win-win situation. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, and so how do you think that could impact, um, patient recruitment? Well, again, I think, um, you could certainly diversify patient recruitment, uh, especially if you're able to uh, go into more diverse neighborhoods and diverse communities and set up research sites. Because again, I think uh, oftentimes, you know, issues beyond logistical issues of someone getting to a large academic center, uh, you've got just trust issues uh, in, in some communities. Uh, so uh, if, if instead you're able to, you know, work with a community physician, uh, I think it's again, sort of a, a slam dunk when it comes to potentially increasing diversity. Uh, and then, uh, obviously you're able to also potentially go to places where there's completely just untapped patient populations. Um, eventually, you know, a department within a, uh, large academic institution or hospital, or even a standalone research site is going to sort of exhaust, you know, their potential patient database. Uh, this allows you to really almost be mobile, uh, go to where the patients are. Uh, and again, that's, I think that's sort of the the holy grail, right, in terms of patient optionality and uh, increasing recruitment availability as well. Yeah, and I guess those big uh, institutions will also have so many clinical trials running at the same time, uh, whereas if you go to smaller uh, sites, they may not have any running, so like they, their whole potential patient population could take part. Yeah, it's true. Again, I think uh, there's a certain level of also sort of ownership and accountability a physician takes if they're, you know, performing trials within their own private practice. Uh, so, yeah, I think it, it encourages uh, a little better, better level of care as well as, you know, not overburdening in terms, like you said, you go to some of these places and they're, 
you know, you've got coordinators who are running 12 to 15 trials. Uh, I've, I've seen it time and time again. So, uh, again, you can sort of avoid that by, you know, sticking with maybe smaller uh, and oftentimes more specialized uh, patient populations. Yeah. And is it something that sponsors are receptive to? I think they have been. Again, I've, I've found, you know, found quite a bit of success in the model because, uh, again, there, it, it has a lot of upside for the sponsors. We can move much more quickly uh, than a large institution can. Uh, access to the physicians is oftentimes less of a problem because, again, you're right there within their clinic. Uh, so, you know, again, you're going to get better PI oversight. You're going to get better uh, sponsor or PI interaction. Um, and again, you're talking about you know, untapped patient population. So oftentimes your enrollment can exceed even uh, what some of these large institutions can, uh, not just because of the patient population, but also just because of the ability to be much more agile. I mean, the guy who calls the shots is the, you know, doctor in the office next door. It's not six layers of legal review and six months back and forth with the local IRB. Uh, so again, I think there's a lot of uh, advantage and even excitement from the sponsor side for a model like this. Well, in uh, just over uh, 10 minutes, I think you've uh, you've convinced me. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure you don't have any uh, issues convincing sponsors. Um, well, that, that's uh, reaching the, the end of uh, our time for, for today. Um, but I'd like to ask you one last question. Um, so where would you like to see um, the clinical trials industry if you look forward 10 years time? Yeah, I think if we can start to see a merge of these, uh, you know, this DCT technology that's starting to come to market, very well funded right now, uh, sort of a merging of this with the uh, continued advancement of community partnerships. So. I think if you can find a good blend of these two things, then you could solve a lot of issues that exist uh, in the clinical trial landscape today from the site side. So that, that's my hope for the future as we start to see less siloing uh, and more collaboration between, uh, you know, essentially sites and site networks and sponsors and even vendors uh, to that degree. So, you know, maybe not a <laughs> not a moonshot by any stretch of the imagination, but. You know, that, that's what I hope to see uh, over the next 10 years, for sure. Yeah, and, uh, I think that makes sense because we have so much um, new uh, going on at the moment, so much innovation, not only in technology, but also processes, initiatives like you do, um, that it will be really interesting to see what it allows us to do in 10 years' time. So I think that's a, a nice, realistic way of looking into the future. Um, well, it's been a pleasure having you, Brad. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, and to everyone, thank you for joining us as well. Um, and we have plenty more uh, videos uh, from Kaylee's Cafe that you can watch as a replay. So feel free to jump in on our website. Thanks, Brad. And talk to you soon.